God's going to give you something tonight that you can take away that's going to give you the kind of resilience when we've been talking about, the kind of thing that makes you bounce back. And when you need a turnaround, believe for a turnaround in your life and your family. We've been studying from the core text, Hebrews 12, verses 2 through 4 in the Message Bible. I'm entitling this message, Worth the Wait. It's worth the wait. And here's what it says in Hebrews 12, 2 through 4. It says, keep your eyes on Jesus. Now, you could actually drop the mic and go home right there. It's the answer to almost all of life's problems. But we're not going to do that because he's got something else to say. It says, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it. That's what we've been doing. That's what we're going to do tonight. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. How many of you know that God has never lost sight of you and the fact that he's destined you to finish? And here's what I want to say right off the bat. No matter where you're at in life, whether you screwed up or life messed you up, God has you in the hollow of his hands. Isaiah 49, 16 says he's engraved you in the palms of his hands, which means that God had the tattoo before anybody else did. And your name is the tat. So whenever you doubt God's love for you, you need to remember that he's the one that's going to see us through. All right. Now, let me give you a background. My, my text tonight is from John 5, and we're, we're picking up a story in the fifth chapter of John. And Jesus is coming to one of the three main feasts that, that males were required to come to in Jerusalem. This particular one is the Feast of Passover. And he walks into the temple at a place called the Sheep Gate, where they took the Passover lambs and dipped them in the pool of water to make sure they were clean before they were offered. He's coming to that place. And the Bible says there's five colonnades, covered porches, and sick people used to lay there all the time on all five of them. In this case, multitudes of sick people. And what they were waiting for was something that happened on occasion. An angel of the Lord would come down by the pool of Bethesda and stir up the waters. Uh, the King James says trouble the waters, but this script says bubbles, that bubbles would come when the angel of the Lord was over the waters. And everybody was there hoping that their time would come. It's into that scenario that Jesus purposefully walks. And here's what it says. Inside the city near the sheep gate was a pool of Bethesda. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. Here we go. One of the men lying there had been sick, for 38 years. Let that sink in. He had been waiting a long time. 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew that he'd been ill for a long time, this is the same kind of knowledge he had with the woman in Samaria at the well. He knew he'd been sick for a long time. He asked him, would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Sound familiar? Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping bag and began walking. I don't know about you, but whenever I've read this scripture, and I've read it literally dozens of times, I, I come to that part where Jesus says, do you want to be made well? Now, remember, I just read that he'd been sick for 38 years. And I asked myself the question, really? 
Really, really. And then I catch myself knowing it's Jesus that's saying it. Jesus has this amazing knack of asking leading questions. And he's doing it here. He's asking him the question to lead him to the answer for the question this man and probably us has from time to time. And here's the question we all have. Why the wait? Why the wait? Why 38 years? 40 is one of the numbers of completion. Jesus fasted for 40 days. Uh, It's a number of of, uh, cleansing. 40 years it rained day and night while God changed the face of the earth before Noah. So just a little bit short of the finished part, this man is still lying on his mat with literally hundreds of people, and Jesus said, do you want to get well? And his response is just like ours when we've laid too long in that condition. I can't, sir, for I have no one to put me where I need to be. And Jesus doesn't bat an eye. He says... Stand up, take up your mat, and walk. So why the wait? Isn't that the question we all had when we were kids? Come on. If you've had kids more than two days, the question that kids are asking is, why the wait? Are we there yet? Why the wait? You tell your son, just like my dad told me, you have to wait until, and I, I, my question was always, why the wait. We ask it over and over again. Your kids asked it. They ask it now, and your grandkids are going to ask it when you get old enough to have those. Why do I have to wait for what I desperately want? Think about it. We've all had this experience. We walk into a restaurant. We're starving. We didn't eat breakfast. We didn't eat lunch, and now it's time for dinner. And we go in there, and there's 20 people standing All the seats in the waiting area are taken. Can anybody relate to this? And there's a worn-out poor waitress sitting there with a list as long as the Declaration of Independence of people that are waiting to get in. And you're you're toying with the idea. You're thinking, what's up with this? What's the deal? And you're toying with the idea, should I wait or should I not wait? You, You look at the head of the line, and here's an old geezer there, much older than me with moss on the north side of his face. Guy from the Audubon Society has come in and placed a bound sign right at his feet saying, Sequoia, one of our rare treasures. And you realize this guy's been there that long. So you decide you're going to go down the street and go to a place that doesn't have a ride. It doesn't have a ride, doesn't have a line. And you do that, it's just as long there. And finally, you settle for a happy meal through a drive through at Mickey D's. That's... Why the wait? Why the wait? We all ask the question, don't we? It's important. Listen, here's what I want you to know. It's one thing when it's a restaurant and a meal you're waiting for, or when it's a ball game that you're going to have to wait in line to get. It's, it's another thing when you're fighting a serious disease. It's one thing to want that zit to leave your face before your heart throb meet you in first period class. It's another thing to fight for a marriage for three years. There's a different kind of waiting, and I'm talking about the second kind this morning. I'm talking about how many times we wait. The Bible makes the length of this man's wait front and center to the story. 38 years. Puts it right out there in front so we can see it. And we know it's been a long time. 
In the midst of hundreds of people in this occasion, one man lay there, and Jesus went right up to him and stood over him because he couldn't stand up on his own. There's a small hope for all these people that they can get in the water first at just the right time so that what they're hoping for is theirs. Now, here's what I want you to know tonight, that whatever you're facing tonight, whatever paralyzed parts of your heart or your mind can't move, Jesus is coming to get you. Jesus is coming to meet you. Jesus is here to give you tools tonight. And he and he alone can lead you out of this. So lean in a little bit, would you, tonight? Because Jesus is asking us the same question he asked this man. Do you want to get well? After I read this story, prayed, thought about it, I thought, you know what? That was a brilliant question. Because we can lie in our same condition or fight the same battle so long that we start to say, I can't. I don't, millions of people, literally millions of people feel like they don't have anybody that can get them where they want to go. But the reason this church exists is because we know a guy. His name is Jesus, and he can get us where we want to go. And if you don't know that guy, lean in even farther, because we want to introduce you to him and all his glory tonight. He's a great king. He's a good God. And so I I asked myself the question, really, but... But in life, when these difficult things come, why the wait? Why the wait? Now, apart from the obvious, if you got everything you wanted, when you wanted it, you wouldn't even need faith. God would become a cosmic vending machine. You can plug in your request. You would get your answer. And I doubt if you and I would worship if that happened. God would be consumer motivated. But how he's motivated for you is because you're his child. He made you. And before you were born, he had a plan for you. Some of you know your life, but you need to get in the closet with Jesus sometime and ask him about your before. Before you were born. Before, the Bible says, you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. That's the question I want to ask. What do you want me to do? What was your dream for me, Lord, before mom and dad got together? Before they slapped me on the butt and I cried in the delivery room, what was your dream for my life? I think God will tell you. I think he'll show you little by little. In fact, I I think as we go on tonight, you'll see that these battles and these delays are about showing you what you're really supposed to do in life. They reveal it and they help you. All right, so let me tell you some practical reasons why the wait from the scripture, okay? Okay. With each promise, there's a path to follow, and it takes time to walk that path. So the first reason why we have to wait is that there's a path to follow. Can you put up that psalm? Yeah, teach me the way in which I should walk. That means that we don't know it unless we're taught it. That There's a way that leads to death, and there's a way that leads to life, and God is going to help us understand it. He's going to help us learn how we should walk. Can I, can I share something with you? That path that Jesus shows you will probably lead straight to your fears. Yeah, I went and said it. It will take me. I'll tell you, the things that really mattered in my life had a whole lot of fear going on in them. I remember 
when uh, things didn't go too well at the, at the church I had pastored for 21 years. I remember that season of my life when my back was up against the wall and I felt paralyzed. And I, I remember the fears that were in my heart because I knew God had called me. There was no question about it. I'd watched him move. I'd seen his miracles. I'd felt his love. I'd watched him pour himself out on Hispanic people and bless them and save them and bring them to Christ. I'd watched him fill churches in my city. And I was just desperate. And God led me straight to the fear I had. Lord, do you want me to keep going? Or like Peter, I'll admit to you, I had a few sessions of I'm going fishing, just like Peter. I think I'll go fishing. And uh, God would arrest me and those fears. And can I say that? That season of waiting in my life that was so painful and so heartrending, it ended up with me being here. It turned out to be one of the greatest things God has ever done in my life. Waited through the options. I had to make choices. I had to stay on the path of ministry. I had to believe God for it. And I can't tell you the number of tears that I cried in that period of time. But guess what? I'm here like the cat that ate the canary, watching people get saved every stinking weekend of my life, coming to Christ, filled with the Lord, watch this building be built, going to watch more be planted through the years, going to see the young people take their position of leadership. Are you kidding me? Stick a fork in me. Because I'm done. That's what you call a turnaround. And let me just be honest with you. It wasn't because I was strong. Because the Christ in me was resilient. Because he gave me bounce. I wanted to bounce. That's a 60s term for I'm getting out of here. But God said, no, I want you to bounce. I want you to bounce. And he stayed with me. And he's going to stay with you. That path leads straight to our fears. You know, when we're parents, we tend to soothe our children's fears when they're little. Nothing wrong with that. When they're babies, I used to stick my babies on my chest and let them fall asleep, and I fell asleep with them right there. It was, it was beautiful. It was wonderful. But when they got older and they had night tears, after a few nights not sleeping, you're going to do something that teaches the child how to deal with those fears. God's a good father just like that. And what I did was I showed my kids the same thing my dad showed me. It's called the light switch. And he said, when you get scared and you start worrying about stuff being under your bed or in your closet or outside, what you do is you get up and you walk over to the light switch and you flip it on. And it was, it, it was a miracle. It was the end of all my fears. Well, not the end of all of them, but it was the end of the ones that I had at night. Come on, there's a light switch. There's a night light. As small as we feel, we have the power to turn the light switch called Jesus on in our life. He'll illuminate things for us. So with every promise, there's a path to follow. Let me tell you about a lady named Carolyn Dweck. She was a professor at Stanford University. And she found an article from a teacher in Chicago she was deeply interested in. It seemed that this high school in Chicago had a certain number of requirements so that uh, their students would graduate. 
But instead of giving their students an F when they were failing a class, they gave them the grade of not yet. And that's what intrigued this professor. Because God, or because God, because Carol, the Dweck, the, the professor, said to herself, I know what happens when people fail a class. They feel like they're a failure forever and a failure in life. So she began a 10-year study of nine-year-olds. And what she was testing them is that whether or not they had a growth mindset or a fixed mindset. So she presented a problem that was more difficult than the students could actually do, but just a little bit. And when they failed it, not if they failed it, when they failed it, she gave them the grade of not yet. And her study was that some of the students were energized by that because they felt like it was a pathway to learning. They could get ahead. They could figure it out. They were the kids with a growth mindset. But the other students didn't have. They had what's called a fixed mindset. They were horribly disturbed. They felt like they would fail and that they couldn't achieve at all. The same I can't that our man said by the pool of Bethesda. It was amazing. It was so profound that businesses started calling her because they found that a lot of their new recruits were getting depressed or quitting and leaving for other jobs because they didn't feel like they could learn. They had a fixed mindset. I would submit to you that God, being a good father and a good teacher, wants us all to have a growth mindset. That whatever trouble you've been through is for a reason, and God and only God can make use of what you've been through. And he'll lead you to a place where you're excited about what you're going through because you know God well enough to know you're coming out on the other side. He's a good God. He's not the God you might have found in religion. But he's the kind of God that brings life and brings it to the full. I love that story. True story. And so it is with us. The path of life often leads us straight into difficulty. Can I just say this for you? You might not like this. God does it on purpose. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that your tragedies were God's fault. That's not what I'm saying. Trust me. I know that some of the things that happened in my life aren't God's fault. I know that some of the things that happened to me in my life were my fault. But here's what else I know. Whether they're my fault or the devil's fault, God still has me in the hollow of his hand. And he'll still come through. He'll still help you. No matter what the circumstances is. You can't stop God. Jesus said, of the ones you gave me, Father, I didn't lose one. I didn't lose one. That's a powerful scripture. Yeah, that's better. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. It'll do you good. It leads to difficulty, and that difficulty involves the not yet we were talking about, doesn't it? Waiting, waiting, dealing with our fears on our anxiety. Could it be that all the waiting that happens in the middle of our mess is actually intended to provide resistance training for our lives so that we become the people God called us to be? I think so. I really do. Even a plane can't take flight without resistance on the leading edge of the wing. What if the resistance you were feeling was meant to give you lift, not push you back? What if the hardship that we all want to be over yesterday was meant so you could lift off? It lifted me right into Walla Walla. 
It was just a helo ride. You know, I didn't know it, but God was getting ready to take me and drop me into the backyard of my friend who somehow saw God in the whole thing. And here we are, a whole different chapter. But you know what else God did? He said, everything I promised you where you are, where you were, will happen where you are. Because I'm a God of my word. That's amazing stuff, actually, that's still going to go down, I can tell you. I want to live a long time so I can see it all, for sure. Just like this paralyzed man in John 5, it leads to and eventually involves Jesus personally. You've got to meet Jesus to let this come to pass. That path we're on is often long and uphill, but it's worth climbing. And the second thing, the second reason why we wait is that with each trial and each promise, there's a process. You can't get the promise without the path, and you can't get the promise without a process. There's a process that has to happen in your life. And that's why waiting is such a big deal. Let's read this scripture in Romans 8.25 from the Message Bible. I love this. That is why waiting doesn't diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We're enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what's enlarging us, but the longer we wait, the larger we become. It has nothing to do with food. And the more joyful our expectancy. I love that part. Come on. What is God growing inside your spirit? What kind of fire is be put, be put to all the straw and the wood and the stubble that sometimes our promise is wrapped up in a lot of junk? And God just has to use life. It's not like he wishes anything difficult Honest, he just knows that life is what it is. It's a fallen world. It's a broken world. You're going to encounter difficulty. And here's the miracle. God's going to use it to take you up, to lift you off. It feels like pushback. Come on, some of you that don't really know who God is, it feels like he doesn't love you. But it's a father's love. My dad told me where the nightlight was because he wanted to teach me to solve my own problem. And he wanted some sleep at night. Either way, he was smart. Some of you, I'm hoping that the nightlight goes on in your life tonight. God wants to help you. What if the weight was meant to lead us into a deeper walk with God? What if God wants more of us? And here's one. Just snap your seatbelt on on this, okay? Check this out. What if we saw failure as part of God's design to build into us what we need to walk out the promise God has for us. Now, that's a radical thought, but it's not so radical for me. Because it seems like whenever I've failed, God came through. Seems like whenever I blew it, God came through. And the more he comes through the more I know he's not going to quit. He's not going to let me go. He's not going to leave me alone or unloved. Somebody needs to hear that tonight. God will never let you out of his hand. If you give your heart to Jesus, you're in the fist of the almighty God. 
And, and you know something? The Bible says in another scripture, yeah, go ahead. God's that good. In another scripture, it says, lightning flashes from the palms of his hands. Now, if you're engraved on the palms of his hands, who do you think he'll use for some of that lightning? Come on, you're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. You, you, you're a trust fund baby with a rich dad. You got more than you think you have. You're loaded and you don't know it. Because the difficulty that you have makes you think that you're poor. That's worse than poor. Poe. That's like eating possum belly down south Poe. Which, can you imagine they actually do that? I'm ADD right here. I got to get back on it. <laughs> Come on, he wants to build into us what, he, what we need. He wants to put it in us. The process of waiting is meant to lead us to Jesus. To answer that one important question he's asking you, just like he asked this man, do you want to be well? All right. How we wait is everything. How we wait. God wants to move us from a fallen fixed mindset to a growth mindset because we're his children. We're not slaves. We're not, we're not just serve. We serve other people, but we do it because we're sons and daughters. Because that's what he did for us. Listen, that growth mindset is going to see delays and detours not as an F, but as an opportunity to grow. Just like that pregnant lady in Romans. Here's how we'll grow. We're going to grow in faith. Hebrews 11.6 says this, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Some of us stop after, and it is impossible to please God, and we put a period in our trial. Ever feel like that? Yeah, but you got to keep reading. Without faith, anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Grow in faith. God wants us to grow in faith. The more you go through, the more you grow through it. He wants us to grow in truth. Ephesians 1.18 says this. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called. To grow in truth. He wants the nightlight to come on in your life so you see fears as what they really are. And then he wants you to grow in trust. And this is a biggie. Ephesians 1.19. In fact, can I say this? This is, this is the kingpin of all your waiting and answers the question why more than anything else. Because I really don't know if I would trust the Lord like I trust the Lord now without going through what I went through. If you want to ask my humanity if I wanted to do it, if I liked it when I was going through it, I'm going to give you the big N-O, nada, zip, zero. I didn't like it a bit. But God knew that it was producing something in my life, and it's producing something in your life. There's dozens of people here tonight that are going through something they wish was over. But God isn't sitting idly by. He's walking straight to that pool. He's standing over your map. The way it paralyzes. Sometimes you can get so used to feeling that way, you give up. You begin to believe that that's your normal condition. So I just want to tell you right now, baby girl, that, that would be the ladies. I, I want to tell you that that is not your natural condition. That your before says you're a daughter of God. 
Your before says you're a daughter of the king. You're like Esther in the royal court waiting for her time. I'm pretty sure those two speakers are going to touch some of that when they get here for you ladies. And can I say this? Brothers, pray for that meeting. The sister's been praying for us for, what, 15 years whenever we have a meeting. Let's return the favor and let them feel the wind of heaven behind the prayers that we give to them. Because you know and I know we love it when they come home full of the Lord. That's just uh, for free. (laughs) Ephesians 1.19, trust where we're on. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. I'm not sure without hardship how you ever understand the greatness of his resurrection power in your life. I know I found way more of it in the hard time than I did in the good time. It's just a miracle. When you want to quit, God doesn't. When you want to throw in the towel from the corner of the wing, ring, God picks it up. Not yet, you're not out. If you're going to have anybody in your corner, it's good that it's Jesus. Amen? Let me, let me give you an Old Testament example of this that I think will help you understand uh, what I mean by trust. Leah is a lady in Genesis 29, 30, 31. Leah's family is being talked about. It's Jacob, Rachel, Leah. Jacob, of course, has turned to Israel. He has the 12 tribes of Israel. Leah is a part of that. Okay? And, but Leah had some difficulty. She was the older sister of a beauty pageant winner whose name was Rachel. And Rachel was not only beautiful, she was clever. And not only was she beautiful and clever, she was an idolater and she lied. And she was a deceiver, just like the husband she married who was a deceiver. Now stop right there, because God used them all. I love stories like, it reads like a bad miniseries. Oh, I'm serious. It, you, it, you can watch miniseries. It, don't, it reads like a bad one. But Leah always felt like the man at the pool felt. I'm second best in the number one world. Jacob loves Rachel, but he doesn't love me. Well, she had a child by Jacob, and she named him. I never had seen this before. She named her boys after her condition. First, she names Reuben, which means God sees. And here's what she was saying. God sees my misery, a sign that my husband will love me. She waited for love, and she's not getting it now that she's married. A sign that my husband will love me. She defined herself as unloved, maybe a glimmer of hope, but not convinced. She has a second son named Simeon. Now, by the way, while she's having babies, Rachel is furious. She's going off the charts. Simeon says, means God has heard that I was unloved. Maybe now God hears. She had a third son named Levi, and she was thinking, maybe now my husband will connect to me after her third son. I'm still unloved, and I'm unloved. Three kids, and she's still waiting, waiting, waiting for for the Lord. But something happened between her third and fourth son. Leah started to transform personally. Leah actually began to move from a fixed mindset 
to a growth mindset. And her fourth son was named Judah, which means this time, I'll praise the Lord. How many of you know that somewhere in your weight, Judah comes along? And if you're willing to hang on, Judah comes. And can I just remind you, this, this will give hope to all the Leahs of the world. Most of us, by the way, are Leahs. Practical. Not so fast. And God loves us. She waited and she waited and she waited and then she got a revelation. This time, I'll praise the Lord. Because whether that joker ever loves me or not, I know God loves me now. I know God will come through. Somebody who's having marriage difficulty right now needs to know. He may not love you, but God does. And whether he gets it together or he doesn't get it together, God's got it together and God's going to love you. God's going to take care of you and help you. Are you tracking with me okay? She said this time. She was growing into an all things are possible mindset. This time I'm going to praise the Lord. This time I'll thank him. This time it's different. The turnaround was about to come in her life. She felt it. She declared it. And she lived differently from then on. And she wasn't done having babies, by the way. So let's get practical real quick. Again, you got to do some things if you're going to fill yourself with the Lord. While you wait, you got to do this. Fill yourself with all God offers. Joey, come on. We've been talking about resilient. Just there you go. Thank you. Resilient. Resilient is the ability to bounce back. The harder the surface is I drop this on, the more difficult, let's put it that way, the circumstance is that I put this on, the farther it bounces back. The more resistance a lot of times is indicative of how far up it's going to come. But this ball bounces because it has something the other one doesn't. It's filled. So practically speaking, if you want resilience in your life, you've got to be filled with something to be resilient. So you've got to be filled with it. What, what do I get filled with? Pastor Bob dealt with one of these. By the way, if you haven't heard that message, go back and listen to that message. It was amazing. You've got to be filled with the Word of God. And you've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. God told the church, just don't do a stinking thing until the one I'm sending hits you. It gives you power over things in your life. Now, if you haven't explored that before, I urge you, just start reading the second book of Acts and talk to some people around here. We'll help work you through that. But you've got to be filled with something. It's the empowering part of the Godhead. It's the revealing. The Holy Spirit is the one who reveals Jesus to us. And third... You need to have faithful friends. Bob talked about us being friends, but you don't know the half of it. I think God used Bob to let me bounce. I think if it hadn't been for Bob Grimm, I might not have bounced. I'd have come to this church, by the way, because I was coming no matter what. I knew God told me to come, and that's all I needed to know. I was moving there. I loved them. I loved the people that I'd met here. I loved their church. I was there at his ordination. I watched him pray with these men. I knew he was a man of God. I was coming. 
but there was something that came from the man as a friend that kept me in the faith. And you got to find the same kind of dude. Doesn't have to be Pastor Bob, but you got to find faithful friends that will stick with you when hell is roaring. Got to fill yourself with them. And I don't mean you need a hundred of them. You can just have one or two or three of them and it'll fill your life with bounce. This is resilience we're talking about. You cannot be resilient without being filled with these things. Practically speaking, you have to take courage. You have to take courage. Let me say it a different way. You have to grab courage by the lapel and drag it with you if necessary. Why am I saying that? Because courage just won't come on you. People aren't born brave. They're not. Give up that notion. It's not true. I've never met anybody in my life that was born brave. You take courage. That's why the Bible says it so many times. Be strong and of good courage. Take some in courage. Put courage in your brother. Because we need it so badly. You have to take it. Let me give you an example of what I mean in the face of fear. There's a guy named Charlie Steinmetz. He was a retired engineer, a brilliant engineer back in the day. And after he retired, an appliance manufacturer found out that he was retired and, and they were having trouble with their entire machine plant. And so they hired him to come in and said, we want to hire you to come in and find where our problem is. Steinmetz came in. He walked around the whole machine complex for about an hour and a half. He took out a piece of white chalk and he reached over right in the piece of machinery and he put a white X on it. The next day... The appliance manufacturer got a bill for $10,000, and they complained about it. So they called him back and said, we want you to itemize that bill and tell us what it's for. So he sent him a two-line itemization. It said, piece of chalk, $1, supplies. Knowing where to put the X, $9,999. What I'm saying is, God will place the X right over your fear because it's probably indicative of what he's calling you to do in your life. That's why the path leads to your fear. And I can tell you, God knows exactly how to put that X and where to put it in your life. The place where he puts it in your life might be completely different than mine. Why? He wants us to live his dream for our lives. Maybe X does mark the spot, huh? Maybe your greatest fear is your greatest calling. In a difficult situation, we think the difficulty is my destiny, but that's not what God's saying at all. Come on, I've been there. Uh, This is how I'm going to live. I remember telling Pastor Bob more than once, I, I guess I use this expression, I just can't get my legs under me. I was paralyzed. That's why this scripture means so much to me, because I couldn't get up. And then God said, you can get up. I said, no, I don't think I can. Yeah, I think you can. And sure enough, I did. And then he says this, he says to the man, he says, stand up, take take up your mat and walk. You got to last, you got to get off the mat. Laying there won't change a thing. Passive indifference never works in the kingdom of God. When you touch Jesus, you can take up what you used to wait on and were paralyzed on and walk away with it. And that thing that you're carrying is your testimony. 
You, people start asking you, weren't you the dude that was laying there by the pool of Bethesda? And you just say, yep. You roll out your mat. Guess what? I'm not laying on it anymore because I met Jesus. It's worth the wait. It's worth the wait. It's worth the wait. Here's what Job said about it. He said this. I'm convinced you can do anything and everything. Nothing and no one can upset your plans. I admit I once lived by rumors of you, but now I have it all firsthand with my own eyes and my own ears. I love that scripture. Job had been through more than all of us put together. And he says, I, I, I admit I used to live by a rumor, but all this waiting, all this trouble, now I've seen you come through with my own eyes and my own ears. Now I want to talk to the people that haven't yet given their heart to Jesus. Maybe you're like this man. You're paralyzed by your fears. I, I even thought tonight as I was praying for y'all that there were some of you maybe here tonight that you've thought about coming to Jesus a number of times, but you always stop short. And I just want you to know that nobody heals like Jesus. Nobody brings life like Jesus. The thing the enemy works on most is he uses lies about who God is and lies about who he says we are. Those are the two things that he uses most of all. And I want you to know that's what they are. They're lies. They're a shadow. They're not true. But how God feels about you is the way things really are. He died for you. We celebrated a couple weeks ago. He stretched out on a cross for you so you could have the opportunity to say, I will, and not I can't. So you can hear him speak to your heart and just respond. And here's what we're going to do. I want to pray for you tonight. And I want to know who I'm praying for. And we're going to repeat this prayer together. We're going to pray with you. And out of your mouth, I want you to say this prayer out loud behind me. We'll join in with you. We'll be part of it. And when you do, what's going to happen is this great God who can get you through any difficulty you're going through, no matter what it is, he will come into your heart and life and he will change you forever. So I want to know who wants to make that prayer with us all tonight and meet Jesus and let him deal with with the things in our life. So if that's you tonight, I'm going to start over here. Could you raise your hand if you want prayer for that? Do you want to say that prayer with us tonight? Just get it up in the air and wave at me so that I can see you. I'm moving over here to the left. Anybody over here? See you, brother. I got you back there, sis. I got you. Yeah. Anyone? I got you, sis. I see you. Praise the Lord. All right, church, would you do me a favor and pray with these that have raise their hand. All of you join with me and pray after me. Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Come into my heart. Forgive my sins and fill me with your Holy Spirit. I give up. I give you all my pain, my hurt, and I've received the goodness of your love. Change me forever. Can you say amen? Come on, put your hands together for these people. You might as well stand up and worship because that's what heaven's doing right now. Hey, 
If you raise your hand tonight, if you were one of those people that did, would you do us a favor? Would you visit the Connect Center out there? The Bible says if we confess with our mouth, and that's the first place you can do it. Go out and tell those amazing people that you raise your hand tonight to have a gift for you. And they and us want to do the third thing, and that's invite you back to this fellowship and this atmosphere where you can continue to grow in the Lord. Our prayer team's coming. If you have need of anything, any of those things touch your heart and you want prayer for them tonight, come on down. These are amazing people who touch God with you.